This is a message I'm sure everybody's excited about hearing, the tongue, right? The mighty small tongue, the mighty small tongue, James is, uh, is really kind of driving home a point for the people uh, in the church as he's writing, uh, and he is really challenging the church in the midst of how they are living and interacting with one another challenging the church and what they say and the things that, uh, that, that matter, the things that they say and, and how they interact with one another really is significant. And so James is kind of is challenging the church. And as we, uh, as we read in James chapter 3, uh, we'll see this morning that first he gives kind of an admonition, not kind of, he, he gives an admonition to, uh, to the teachers and warns them about making certain of their call. And then in verse 2, he kind of begins to speak to all of us, uh, so not just to teachers, but to everyone. And so as we, as we prepare to read this passage this morning, let us open in, in a word of prayer. Father, as we come to your word, we come with uh, expectant hearts, knowing, Father, and confessing that we are sinful, knowing, Father, and confessing that Like James says, we stumble in many ways, and the tongue is just one of those ways that we stumble. And so, Father, I pray that you would be merciful with us this morning, and God, extend your grace to us as we walk through this passage. Lord, that you would show us our faults, that you would show us our sin, but show us by your grace, Lord, that your strength and your power, that you fill us and you you lead us even in the midst of our struggles, and Father, that we can depend upon you and trust in you. So, Lord, I pray that as we look into your word this morning, you would speak to our hearts, open our eyes to see the wonderful truth of your word and open our minds to comprehend the wonderful truth of your word. Lord, that our hearts might love your word and our lives, we might we might desire to apply it and to live it out faithfully. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. If you found your place in James chapter three, say amen. Follow as I read. James says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire Body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and birds of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. 
my brethren, these things ought not be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs, nor can salt water produce fresh? As we look into this passage this morning, the first thing I, I want us to see is that the tongue holds the power to direct. I think that's one of the th- one of the truths that James is trying to teach us, especially with the, the two illustrations that he gives us in, in verses 3 and 4. But the tongue holds the power to direct. Before he gets to those illustrations to just show us how that tongue directs, he gives an admonishment to teachers. He admonishes the teachers and challenges the teachers in their very ministry. And so teachers this morning, teachers at Crosspoint, it's a challenge specifically laid out before us, before those who have the gift of teaching, who exercise that gift of teaching in the midst of the body. And so the challenge is for teachers to consider your calling. Therefore, he says, or let not many of you become teachers, my brethren. It's a this is a a command here. It's in an imperative language. It be careful is what he's saying here. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren. Knowing as such, we will incur a stricter judgment. This warning that he begins with to teachers, it it's intriguing question that comes to mind for me is why? Why does he start out or why does he begin chapter 3 here with this warning to the teachers to be careful? Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, because we'll incur a stricter judgment. And why will the teacher incur a stricter judgment? Are we not all to be judged equally before God's throne? So this judgment that James is speaking about this stricter judgment that comes to the teacher. I want to give you a few reasons as to why I think James is highlighting the ministry and the role of teachers and why they receive a stricter judgment. But that word strict or strictness, however it is in your version in the ESV, that word strict or stricter in one of the lexicons, they define it this way, say to receive a punishment that is just so much more severe. I thought that was interesting, the way that they define that. To receive a punishment that is just so much more severe. This strict judgment that is for the teachers. I, I don't share this to, uh, to discourage or to scare or to cause our teachers even to step down from their teaching roles this morning. But I, I think what James is telling us here is that all who are teachers will be judged with greater scrutiny. And so the question would naturally come to the teacher is, teacher, is this your calling? Are you called to teach? Have you been gifted? And are you aware of this stricter judgment that James says is for you as a teacher? The reasons for greater strictness in judgment, I think, first is that we're teaching God's word. And so when we approach God's word, it generally involves speaking. The tongue being generally the tongue is is the the main tool that the teacher uses when teaching, generally speaking. And so as the teacher is teaching God's word, it, it is our tongue that we're using, that we're speaking with. Right. And so James is challenging the teacher as they teach God's word. Paul tells Timothy in Second Timothy, chapter two. Verses 14 and 15, remind them of these things 
and solemnly charged them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. I remember one of my seminary professors, uh, he was lecturing one day, and he had kind of reached a high point in his lecture, and somewhere in the midst of the lecture, he had kind of crossed over from lecturing to us to really preaching to us, and it was about halfway through the class, and he was challenging us regarding the teaching and the proclamation of God's word. And I was, I was, uh, I was just kind of drinking it all in and becoming more and more entrenched in the lecture or the sermon or whatever it was he was sharing. And he reached the pinnacle in his words, in his words, and, and he said, he said this, he said, if you say, students, I can hear him, if you say, thus saith the Lord, the Lord better have said it. And it kind of was one of those resounding phrases that just stuck with me. It was one of my first semesters at seminary. If you say, thus saith the Lord, the Lord better have said it. I think that's what James is really cautioning us in here this morning, teachers. We say, thus saith the Lord, the Lord better have said it. We must be careful to say what God's word is saying and to teach what God's word is teaching because it's of eternal consequence. It really is. It's of eternal consequence. Do we realize that every word matters? This goes beyond teachers this morning. Do we realize that every word we speak matters? I'm amazed as I read through the gospel accounts, as I read through scripture, but specifically as I read through the gospel accounts and we see the interaction and the words with Jesus. And I'm amazed that there was not one word that he wasted in the midst of his speech as he spoke and as he challenged, as he went and taught. Not one word was wasted. Do we realize that when we speak from the word of God, teachers, we speak with the authority of God's word? And that what we say and what we teach commends God's words and God's ways to those whom we are teaching? It's a weighty realization. In Matthew twelve thirty six, Jesus says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Teachers are held to a greater or stricter judgment. The words we speak are significant. They matter. They matter. We are, they matter because we are teaching God's word. But secondly, they matter because as we teach God's word, greater responsibility leads to greater accountability in one's life. As you, teacher, are entrusted with the truth of God's word, even believers, you're entrusted with the truth of God's word. We are called to live out obediently as we hear the truth of God. And when then we apply it and live it in our life. But teachers, as you as you are trust entrusted and study with the truth of God's word and as you teach and as we preach God's word, we are called to live with a greater accountability. Again, the Apostle Paul said it in this way in First Corinthians nine twenty seven. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. You know, the reality is that we can't separate our teaching from our living. 
We must live by the same standard through which or by which we teach. We cannot teach one thing and live by another standard. To do that would be hypocritical. And so James is challenging us. He's challenging the church. Perhaps even more poignant, though, is the truth that Paul speaks when he says that I might that I might not be disqualified. That because of a lack of spiritual maturity to live by what I preach or or by what I teach, I I don't want to be disqualified because I I'm lacking the spiritual maturity or the self-control to live it out. The implication then for teachers is. The heavy. It's a heavy challenge, is it not? For teachers, we we must feel the weight of this passage. And my intention isn't that we'd be overburdened this morning or our burden beyond our our ability this morning. But as teachers, that we would wrestle with these implications, knowing knowing that as such, we will be judged with a greater strictness. And so our prayer ought to be, Lord, let me speak as you give me utterance. Guard my lips like the psalmist in Psalm 141.3 says, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Make my tongue to speak your truth. Make my tongue to speak your truth. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. But all of our exhortation this morning is not just for teachers. It's for every one of us this morning. You see in verse 2, what's the very next phrase that he uses or says? For we all stumble in many ways, right? We all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. That is to say, every one of us stumble. We all sin. The word stumble there, it means to sin. We all sin. We all stumble. We all trip and fall. But the reality that James is pointing out to us is that the, the, the sins of the tongue are the ones that are the most devastating because they really infringe upon others. They really destroy others. And they direct. They direct our lives. The sins of the tongue, they reveal our character. Most often, the tongue, it reveals more about who we are than we realize that we have revealed when we speak it. Does that make sense? Uh, More often than not, it's in our speech that we reveal who we are, and, and it's our character that comes out through the things that we say. And we've all had those moments, I know, we've all had those moments when we wish we could take back the words that just went flying off of our lips, whether it be words in anger, directed at somebody or directed at a spouse, whether it be words of malice that were meant to sit and really, uh, really eat away at, at, at in somebody's mind at another person's character, whether it be uh, words that are intended really just to cut and to hurt or whether it be words that are even unintentionally spoken and they're taken in the wrong light, we all have those moments that we wish we could take those words back. And it's for this reason that James says, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. 
You see, James focuses on the negative effects of the tongue because they're so devastating in the body of Christ. In fact, he goes on in verse 3 to give us an illustration of of just what happens with the directing that, 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 that occurs through our tongue. In verse 3, he says, Now if we put the bits into the horses' mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. He says the same thing about a ship and the rudder in verse 4, right? Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, they are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. You know, the horse is really a tremendous creature of God's creation, powerful. As a, ch- as a child, I remember really uh, going to fairs and, uh, or going to parades, and you see the Clydesdales coming through the parade, right? And just seeing these magnificent creatures that stand six feet tall just at their back. I mean, they weigh 2,200 pounds. They can carry a load. These horses are huge. They are powerful creatures. And yet a 100-pound woman or man could sit on the back of one of these horses, and if there is a bit in that horse's mouth, then that horse can be controlled and directed in any way that that person wants that horse to go. And the analogy is is simple. It's that the same it's the same with the tongue. The tongue directs one's body. The tongue directs us and controls us. It directs and controls our life as the bit controls the horse's body, as the rudder controls the direction of the ship, so the tongue controls the direction of our lives. Such a small tool can be instrumental in directing a powerful and a large vessel. Is It's amazing to me. The real issue at hand, though, is the obvious nature, not that the, it's the obvious nature of the tongue and, and what happens when we speak. It's not that the rudder is so small that it controls the ship. That's not really the point at hand, nor is the point at hand really that the bit controls the horse. The point is, who is controlling the horse? And the point is, who is controlling the ship? Who's at the helm? Who's the captain at the wheel that's driving this thing? And it's a realization that while the ship is directed by the rudder, there's somebody that's steering the ship. And the question that we've got to come to grips with here is who is steering the tongue? That's what James is really trying to point out. You see where he says at the end of verse 4, even in the midst of the strong winds, they're still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. Wherever the pilot wants it to go, it goes. So who's piloting this tongue? (laughs) Who's piloting this ship? Who's leading this horse? Tongue is a small part of the body, but James says it boasts of of great things. It has has control over everything that a person says and does. And what we say impacts what we do. You know, this is one of the reasons, just real practically, that we encourage one another to be accountable to one another. That's why we encourage an accountability partner or even while we encourage community groups because it's in that or the home group. It's in the home group where we come together and we even are able to have an experienced community and and have an experience, some accountability. 
so that when we speak those things that God is leading us in, and, uh, and, and even this is the positive side, and even challenging us to, to change, confessing our sin, we share that with a brother, we share that with a sister, and, and we speak it, and then we're held accountable in it. One of the wonderful things about having accountability is that when we speak and share with one another, we are able to hold one another to account. Our words possess power. They possess the power to impact our lives for good or for bad. The power to impact others' lives for good or for bad. You see, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires, the tongue, wherever the inclination of man desires is where the tongue will go. So who's directing our tongue? Teacher? Church, believer, who's directing our tongue? Who's in control? Must be careful in what we say, recognizing that the tongue holds power to direct. But not only does the tongue hold power to direct, the tongue holds power to destroy. We see that in the second part of verse 5, he begins, he says, See, see how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. The very world of iniquity, our unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life. And is set on fire by hell. He says the tongue is a fire, the very world of unrighteousness. That is to say, it, it has inflammatory capability. The slightest spark of an ill-spoken word can ignite a firestorm that will ignite and destroy everything it touches. You've experienced that or you've seen it in action. If somebody will speak one harsh word, one wrong word, misguided word, and it will, it will devastate others. And then it just spreads like wildfire. Verse 6, he says the tongue is a fire it's the very world of unrighteousness that's the way that that James describes this tongue when it's uncontrolled as he says in verses 7 and 8 as well this tongue is being uncontrolled it it defiles it stains the entire body you see that in verse 6 what does he mean it defiles or it stains the entire body that is to say that it, it spreads spiritual pollution throughout the entire body. Think about it for a moment. If as we saw in chapter 2, verse 12, where he says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty, for judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. That is, if we are to be merciful in our interaction with one another and forgiving and gracious what is he describing here in chapter 3 and in verse 6? Really seems to be quite the opposite of what we saw over in chapter 2 in this mercy that is supposed to be exhibited and, and, and exemplified among the people of the congregation. Instead, what are they doing? They are destroying one another with the fire of their tongues. So James defines that or describes this, old, uh, this uncontrolled tongue as the Staining, as staining the entire body, as defiling the entire body. 
And really, those who misuse their tongue are guilty of spiritual arson, destroying the lives of brothers and sisters in Christ and tearing them down spiritually. He goes on to continue describing the tongue. Not only is it a world of iniquity and unrighteousness, not only is it the, the place that we see the, the characterization of the world come through in the life of a believer, but it also sets on fire the course of our life. He says, and it's set on fire by hell. It's kind of an interesting phrase there. The word hell, Gehenna, is used of Jesus 12 times, or used of in the New Testament, I should say, 12 times. 11 times out of the 12 that it's used, Jesus uses it in the Gospels. One time it's used outside of the Gospels. You know where it's used at? It's used right here in James chapter 3, verse 6. And every time that Jesus uses it, he uses it to speak of the unquenchable fires of hell. And James uses it this one other time in the New Testament. He uses it here, and he uses it to point to the uncontrolled tongue, that it's like a, a conduit from the fires of hell that is continually set on fire, and it destroys all that it speaks about. This is the uncontrolled tongue set on fire among its members, among the body of Christ. It's really a devastating work that happens when a man, a woman, has an uncontrolled tongue. Think about it for a moment. It, it tears down the body of Christ, doesn't it? I mean, when we speak harsh words against a brother or sister, when we gossip about a brother or sister, or when we slander a person's character, when we when we drop hints and subtleties in conversations about somebody, this really is not edifying and building up in the kingdom. It's tearing down. So James rightly challenges the teachers to be on guard, rightly challenges us all that we stumble in many ways. And if a person can, can guard the tongue, if a person can keep from sinning with the tongue, then he is a perfect man. She is a perfect woman able to bridle the whole body, able to exercise self-control over all areas of life. Think about it in Isaiah chapter 6. First thing Isaiah says when he comes into the presence of God, Woe is me, I am unclean, I'm a man of unclean lips, I live among a people of unclean lips. Or what about Peter, the apostle Peter? How many times do we read through the New Testament where Peter just opens his mouth long enough to take one foot out and put the other one in? You know, I, I think we all, we all can identify here because we've all been guilty of saying harsh words and speaking words that are not meant for the edification or the good of the body, but they are meant to tear down and to slander. I think at the heart of what James is saying is this is not Christian. It's not what the church does. It's not what God's people are about. It's not what we are to be doing. Throw it far from you. Get it away. He'll say later, flee from these things. Verses 7 and 8, he tells us that even all species of beasts and birds, reptiles and creatures of the sea, they're tamed or they're subdued and they have been tamed. They have been subdued by mankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. Of course, we can look to our Savior Christ who has 
perfectly taken every word and not misstepped on one of them and used them to speak and to bring about the glory of God. But this is really telling that the tongue, it, it's a restless evil and it's full of deadly poison. It's verbal cyanide, right? It's poison and it destroys. You see how devastating the tongue can be in the midst of the people of God and even in the world. How devastating the tongue can be. You know, and we need to exercise mercy toward one another. There are often times when my sin or maybe ways about me would be more prevalent and even more aggravating to others, but by God's grace, they would come to me in love and want to say, hey, let me, let me walk with you here and let me help you grow. Let me help you overcome these struggles or maybe, maybe let me help you overcome this sin in your life or this trial and, and they come in love and they come in graciousness and say, let me walk alongside of you. And that's one thing. And that's, that's the way that it ought to be where we come and we, we come alongside one another and we lift each other up. We help hold one another accountable and we walk in the faith together. But then there's also this other way where, where it can be done. And, and this is the way where you come to a brother or sister and you confront them maybe in, in, in sin or, or in a struggle in life or, or maybe there's something that they do that just really gets on your nerves and you just go and you tear them apart and you rip their head off and you chew them out, go up one side and down the other and of course I'm exaggerating a little bit but you get the point. Where's God honored in that? And he's not. And here's the thing, the, the difference is life altering. The way, that we, the way that we show the love of Christ in, in using our tongue to speak with one another, it, it can be life-altering. It can really transform the heart of somebody. It can really help someone grow in their faith, or it can really tear them down and just destroy them. And so James is saying, listen, the, the tongue holds the power to destroy, and we need to be aware of that. As believers, as a body of Christ, we need to be aware that the tongue can destroy. When we um, when we lived in Pollock, we had cut all the trees in the backfield. Well, there's about three acres that we had cut down, and uh, it was just a field that had no trees, uh, and all the grass was growing up, and it was real thick, and <coughs> it was dry. And uh, it just was, um, it was a little windy that day. And we had piled up uh, a little, a small pile of brush. And it was kind of right, right by the edge of the backfield. And uh, Tara decided she was going to burn it that day. And, um, and so the wind was blowing just right, uh, blowing from, the, blowing from the, uh, the east, going west. And uh, she lit the fire. And walked inside and came back out, and the fire had just kind of grown a little bit. And it started, got into the field, and as the wind kept blowing, it just kept growing. And the fire soon grew from just this real small brush fire to this huge fire that spanned the whole width of the three-acre field. And the whole field went up. And so she called, and uh, when I drove up, she was running out there. The, the, water, hose, the water hose wouldn't stretch far enough. 
<laughs> it wouldn't go far enough to spray. And so uh, anyway, so I drove, she called me and she was just panicking and I didn't know what was going on. I couldn't even understand because I didn't answer the phone. She left a voicemail. And uh, so, man, I jumped in the truck and I sped home real quick and got there and the fire was just, it was out of control. There was really nothing I can do. And uh, so we ended up having to call the fire department and they came out there and I wasn't really worried about the fire getting out beyond the field. I mean, it was our field, and I wasn't worried about that. It had a big, uh, big pipeline in the back that was uh, that was clear, and so I didn't wasn't worried about uh, the the fire crossing that pipeline and getting into the woods, because Kasachi National Forest is just it was pretty close by as well, uh, and so. But I, I wasn't worried about that as much as I was worried about. Uh, there's a low pressure gas well on the northwest corner of our property. And it's right at the edge of that field, and that's where that gas line, that pipeline, runs through the back of the property. And so I was really kind of worried about that. And as the firemen came, they, they came, they ran in, they, they put the fire out. And, uh, and to make a long story short, uh, one small fire kind of jumped out of control, and potentially, if it would have hit that gas well, it would have blown up every house in Pollock could have been really out of control. So the moral of the story is just don't start a brush fire right by the edge of a field when the wind's blowing, right? <coughs> but when it, when it comes to the words we use, James says that our tongues are like a fire. And they're ready to set it ablaze. And they will destroy everything in their path if they are left uncontrolled. The challenge is we, we don't need more tongues that destroy. We need more tongues who are ready to speak mercy and grace in the lives of people. We need tongues who are ready to deliver people and speak the love of God into their lives. Isn't it amazing the potential destruction that can come from such a small fire? And the potential destruction that can come from an uncontrolled tongue. It is amazing. Well, the tongue not only holds the power to destroy, uh, this last point I want you to see, it's somewhat redemptive. The tongue holds the power to depend. The tongue holds the power not only to destroy, but the tongue holds the power to depend. It holds the power to direct. It holds the power to destroy. But I want you to see that it also holds the power to depend. Let me explain that a little bit. Verse 9, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. So first off, what he's saying in verses 9 and 10 are with one side of our mouth, with one mouth, at one moment we're praising God, and in the next moment we're cursing a brother or sister with the same mouth in the name of God we are cursing them. And then he comes and he says, my brothers, this ought not be. It ought not be for the people of God. We ought not act in this way. Our lives don't have to be filled with biting and cutting one another. These things, the the whole point that James is making here is that this characterization of the tongue that we've seen from verses 1 through 8, it doesn't have to be this way. 
and that really it's inconsistent with the believer's life. It's inconsistent with a person that's born again. It's inconsistent for us to bless and praise God and then also curse brothers and sisters of the faith. It's inconsistent with the profession of faith in Jesus Christ and it it flies in the face of exercising mercy toward one another. And he gives us a, a few just practical examples in verses 11 and 12. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and salt water? And the answer, of course, is no. The source will not be both fresh and salt water. It will be one or the other, but it, won't, it can't do both. Verse 12, can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? The answer to that is, no, of course it can't. Then he says, nor can salt water produce fresh. And so it goes for the Christian disciple of Christ that he or she cannot produce wickedness with his or her tongue because it's inconsistent with who they are in Christ. We cannot consistently speak in a way that degrades and tears down and and, and wreaks havoc in the lives of others. We cannot do that. It's inconsistent with being a believer in Jesus Christ. It's inconsistent with a profession of faith. Because we are not perfect, we will stumble, we will fall as we all do. But hear the exhortation from James that we don't have to be that way. That our tongues, we can, we can steer them, we can entrust our, ourselves to God, we can ask God, guard our lips, guard our mouths, guard the words that come out of our mouths, guard our thoughts. You see, the mighty small tongue, when yielded to God, can be a beautiful instrument that is used to declare His glory and His worth among all peoples. It can be used to edify and to build up. It can be used to spread the love of Christ but it can also be used to tear down. This morning, I want to challenge us in this way, threefold. The first way I want to challenge us is to ask ourselves, who's directing and controlling our tongue? Who is directing and controlling our tongue? In our conversations with one another, even with our safe friends, how are we speaking in a way that honors and glorifies Christ? Are we edifying others? Secondly, have you, with your tongue, recently destroyed someone or started a fire? Have you, with your tongue, recently torn someone down and not built them up? And I would encourage you this morning to repent if God has convicted you of that and to seek the forgiveness of that person that you tore down or those people that you tore down. And thirdly, this is practical. Are are you depending on God to control your tongue? Are we depending on God to control our tongue? Are we depending on Him to be the one that's steering here? Are we submitting to Him in our daily lives and in our interaction with one another? The tongue is small, but the tongue is mighty. With it, we can bless our Lord and Savior And with it, we can curse men. Let us be found by God to be ones who bless our brothers and sisters, who bless others, who speak mercifully toward one another, 
and exercise grace toward one another. I'm going to close this in prayer, and I just want to invite you this morning to ponder these questions and meditate on them and examine your own heart and life and ask God to to purify your your heart, purify your mind, purify your lips. Let us pray. Father, as we come before you this morning, and we certainly know that you know everything about us. There's nothing that's hidden from your sight. Lord, I'm aware that the words that we speak are not neutral words. They always have intent and they always have meaning. And you know the intent and the meaning behind all of it. And so, Lord, we, we pray for your mercy as we did in the beginning. We pray for your mercy this morning in dealing with us. We pray that, God, you would graciously extend your hand to us, Lord. Let us come before you. We, we come repenting and we come asking you, Lord, to take control in this area of our lives, the tongue. For even James says, no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So, Lord, we just kind of begin this morning confessing that that's us. That's me. It's my tongue. Help me to use my tongue, Lord, to praise you and to love my brothers and sisters. Give us strength, Father, to depend upon you and to draw near to you and to hear from you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.